0: This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. It's so good to see you guys. Uh, This morning, I often say that and I truly mean it. It's good to see your faces. It's good to see um, you having come into the house of the Lord today, desiring to hear a word from God, desiring to see one another, to love one another. Um, Maybe just desiring to see if God will answer some questions this morning that you have. I assure you, you're in good company. Uh, We pick up today in the book of Luke and actually begin to look at the orderly account uh, of which Luke spoke about last week. We start reading through this orderly account of, if you will, the life and times of Jesus this morning in a chapter that is typically reserved for Christmas, Um, We'll be here this week, next week, maybe the following week going through uh, Luke chapters 1 and 2. And my hope for you, my prayer for you, as it has been for me, and God has certainly been faithful um, to answer it in my life through this week, is that you will see again with fresh and new eyes the beauty and the power and the glory of God in Luke chapters 1 and 2, that most of us are... So, very familiar with, yet usually only here preached or taught through at Christmas. I was thinking um, this week, I don't think I've ever preached through or taught through Luke 1 and 2 except during Christmas time. So, I'm excited uh, to do it this morning as well. But I, I would like for you to be thinking about a place in your life or a season maybe. Or maybe there's an issue or an area in your life right now where you seem like you've been waiting on God's faithful movement for a long time. Where it seems like you've cried out to God. You've prayed and prayed and prayed. Maybe you've cried and prayed and cried and prayed. Until you don't have any more tears left when you pray. And God continues to seem to delay. And I want you to hold that. We'll speak more to that at the end. But I think you're in good company with the people of Israel, the people of God. As we pick up this story in Luke chapter 1. I want to read through a fairly lengthy portion of Scripture, Luke 1, beginning in verse 5, we'll read through verse 38. Because the two announcements that we see here are really um, two parts of a single narrative flow. And I want us to hear it as a full unit before we come back and work our way through it and I make some observations that I would love for you to grab a hold of. Let's look At Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service had ended, was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me. And took away my reproach among my people. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. the son of God and behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God and Mary said behold I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed from her Now, when we look at the story of these two announcements, we need a little history to understand the significance of this time. From the time of the last recorded prophecy in the Old Testament, Malachi, in the 5th century BC, God had been quiet, nothing, nothing. Year after year, generation after generation, century after century, no prophets during the Persian period. Alexander the Great comes through and Israel is welded into the larger Greek world. No word from God about what's happening, no word of delivery, nothing. The Lord is silent. Alexander. His reign rain moves from the 4th century B.C. to the 2nd century B.C. As the Greek-speaking world expands, expands under Alexander and subsequent rulers. And still the Lord is silent. No prophets, no word from God. Priests continued to teach the Hebrew Scriptures to the people. But there was no new word from God about their deliverance. All of the promises of a Redeemer A prophet like Moses, a king like David who was to come, the Messiah they were looking for, all of the promises just hung there, suspended for centuries. You realize how long it seems to us when when fervent, unanswered prayer lasts for months? This is centuries, church. Church. And God's people heard nothing new from God about the promises throughout the Scripture. Like the ones he'd given in Deuteronomy and Psalms and Isaiah. That a suffering servant, a Messiah was to come. A deliverer, a ruler through the line of David. All these promises, all these prophecies just sat there. Stillborn, if you will. People waiting. Waiting. Wondering when God would speak throughout the century of the Maccabean rule between the the mid-second century and uh, mid-first centuries uh, BC there was nothing no word from God now some in Israel had thought that the political independence that the Maccabeans brought was in some way the fulfillment of these great promises they were grasping at something And even willing to settle for far less than had been promised them. That offered even the slightest glimpse of a hope of fulfillment. But that confused hope was crushed under the boots of Rome. In 63 BC, Roman General Pompey came into Jerusalem. He took Jerusalem with little respect for the Jews, for their religion, their laws, their temple. And they were once again under the heel of a foreign oppressor. And by the time these events in Luke chapters 1 and 2 take place, the Romans had been ruling over Israel for two long generations. It's no doubt, would you say, that hope was in short supply. And then after centuries of Silence, centuries of waiting, we hear that in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had come up to do his duty in the temple, and something happened, something happened. I want to say uh, a quick word about verse 5. In the days of Herod king of Judah. Herod ruled Judah reigned in Judah as kind of an under ruler of Rome from roughly 37 uh, BC to 4 BC. We know that John the Baptist and Jesus were born roughly uh, at the at the very end of Um, Herod's reign so somewhere between 6 and 4 BC I know that weirds out our little calendar that uh, Dionysius messed up in the 6th century when he was trying to figure this stuff out but I want you to know this is not a problem that the Bible has Uh, this came centuries later but roughly um, John the Baptist and Jesus born 6, 5, maybe 4 BC and we find here if you look continue looking at verse 5 That Zechariah was a priest with the division of Abijah. So Levitical priests were divided up into 24 uh, divisions. And members of each division would have two non-consecutive weeks where they would go up to Jerusalem and serve in the temple. Kind of like some of you do in LM Kids. And during those weeks, they had different duties. There were more priests than there were actual needs to fulfill in the temple. And so they would split them up. They would split them up. Now, look at this. We see here that his wife, Elizabeth, also comes from a priestly family, Aaron. And verse 6 says that they're both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord... But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Part of why Luke wants us to know that they were righteous and blameless before God, fulfilling the commandments and statutes of the Lord, is he doesn't want us to think that their childlessness is a result of their sin. And I think that's often something that you and I can give a, give a nod to But sometimes in our own lives, when deep-seated desires that we feel like God has given us, that we've prayed toward, go unanswered, it can cause us to wonder at times. God, are you angry with me? Have I done something before you? Is there a reason I'm not married and all my friends are? Is there a reason we can't? seem to get pregnant, but our friends seem to have an easy time doing it? Is there a reason everyone else seems to be getting promoted and moving on, and I'm stuck in this place? And on and on we could go, and Luke wants you to hear from God this morning that that is not the case. That is not the case. Theology, uh, true thinking, right thinking about God doesn't work that way right can you imagine the mess of our lives even in Christ if that's how it went good day blessings bad day curses I mean who who in here could stand before a God who could not only see what you did outwardly overtly but could see what you didn't do or did inwardly anybody want to ride that roller coaster no sir no ma'am mm-mm Now, look what happens here. Verse 8, while he was serving Zechariah as a priest before God when his division was on duty. So this is one of their two non-consecutive weeks a year that they're in Jerusalem. They've left their home and traveled to Jerusalem. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense we don't know exactly how they cast lots there are different versions of this wording throughout the old testament new testament different uh ways that archaeologists have uncovered um possible ways that they did this but we do know that they trusted god to point out who was going to be doing this role and it highlights god as the actor god as the one at work and this time Zachariah gets the draw of a lifetime only once in a lifetime would a priest get to do this and most of them never got to do it he gets the draw of a lifetime like I said there were more priests than duties so they would say okay priest number one you're gonna you're gonna lead the cow from this point to this point point. and priest number two you're gonna pick the cow and you're gonna go from here to there And priest number three, you're going to carry the cup from this point to that point. And so on they would do. And then they would draw lots for who would go in and burn the incense. Zechariah gets to go up into the temple. To the altar of incense. And there was great anticipation. Sometimes fear. Certainly fear among the people outside waiting. As a priest would go into the temple and the closer he would approach toward the Holy of Holies. One New Testament commentator um, reckoned it as being like entering a spiritual uh, reactor core. If you know nuclear language. But he gets to go into the temple to the altar of incense which is just in front of the Holy of Holies. And there in the morning... Or in the evening, afternoon, he'll burn the incense. Which is a pleasant thing to do, right? In a space where animals are sacrificed all day long. There was not a pleasant smell, right? They didn't have any Glade plug-ins. And if they did, they would would not have had enough refills. They didn't have any like oxidizing things that you could plug in and it would pull all the stinky particles out of the air. Clean it all up for everybody. And the people are outside praying, verse 10. The whole multitude are praying outside at the hour of incense. Here's here's what I want you to not miss here when we look at these people. They haven't just gathered to be encouraged as things are being done by the priests around the temple. They have gathered there to participate in the worship, to participate in honoring their God, to participate in petitioning their God. And then in verse 11, something happens for centuries. It's been quiet. No word from God. It's hard for us to imagine that unless you imagine by some stroke of history, 25 years from now, or whatever, we are dominated under the subjugation and rule of China. Not from a distance, but on our soil. And there we are, under the rule and reign of China for 100, 125 years. And following China comes a reconstituted, re-empowered, reinvigorated Russia. And on and on it goes. And that doesn't even do it justice because we as a nation are not the people of God as Israel was. So they're waiting and verse 11 says, There appeared to him Zechariah as he's burning the incense, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. God breaks in, heaven breaks into earth for the first time in centuries and brings a word from the Lord. Verse 12, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Do not be afraid. If you're familiar with manifestations of God in the Old and New Testament, this is always the response of sinful human beings when confronted in a visible way with the power and the awe and the holiness of God. Through some kind of supernatural display or through one of his unique messengers. And it just, it should remind us that angels, (laughs) angels are not plump little heavenly messengers with too much blush on their cheeks. That you can sort of squeeze and they make a fun noise or maybe answer a prayer. They're heavenly messengers, they're divine ambassadors, royal warriors, warriors who represent the power and authority of the most high God and come in the name of our creator and our judge as he sends them. And we don't, just as an aside here, we don't become angels, right? No matter how untimely your death or how untimely the death of a a family member, can I just say, friends, that it's, it's a cute thing to say heaven needed another angel, but it's terrible theology. It's wildly unbiblical. Angels are their own creations by God. They have their own names, their own duties. They come and go at the direction of God himself. You will never be an angel. Heaven doesn't need any more angels. God didn't make mistakes when he created. So Gabriel comes here. And Zechariah is shaken up. He's shaken up and the angel says, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now I want to pause there because a lot of times there's confusion. I want to ask you, what do you think, what do you think Zachariah was praying for in the temple as he was offering incense on behalf of the people of God? probably not a son. He is engaged in his priestly duty here. His prayer there would have been around the redemption of Israel. In fact, from his response to this birth news, it seems that he may have given up praying, certainly expecting God to answer. His desire for a child, a son, Years and years ago. But little does he know in ways that only God can orchestrate. Those two things are going to be eternally linked together. The redemption of Israel. And the divine gifting. Of a son. He says in verse 14. You will have joy and gladness. And this this is not just. An aside, not all sons bring joy and gladness. Not all daughters bring joy and gladness to their parents. But he goes further. He says, many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He will be great before the Lord. Now, you can kind of compare this with verse 32 when the angel comes and speaks to mary and says he speaking of jesus will be great and will be called the son of the most high not great before the lord but jesus will be great as god has been called great throughout scripture and the the word many here is a bit ominous because it suggests what is true That John the Baptist will not be welcomed by all in Israel as a prophet who speaks the truth. There'll be some that reject him and some that reject the Lord to whom his ministry points. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is uh, just another reason why Christians... Throughout Christian history have been advocates of the sanctity of all human life from conception to death. At our best, all human life, every color, every race, every socioeconomic level. From conception to death. We see that God not only chooses to create John through the natural human way of sexual intercourse between Zachariah and Elizabeth. But he knows him from the womb and fills him with the Holy Spirit even while he's in the womb. Now I don't know any of you ladies that had a wild pregnancy. But can you imagine this? Like your kid's a little wild anyway and then bam. Bam comes the filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that was like for Elizabeth, but it had to be a ride. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, it's amazing, it's stunning that this is the message the angel brings after centuries of silence. Let's go back and look at the last recorded word from God to his people. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Give you just a minute to, to flip back there just before the Gospels, the Malachi, Malachi. If you look at the last chapter of Malachi chapter 4, the last verses. Here we find the last recorded Word of God in the last book in the Old Testament, in the last chapter of the last book, in the last verses of the last chapter of the last book, verses 5 and 6, Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And Gabriel is saying to Zachariah, who was a priest and taught people the scriptures, this is that. The time has come, and God has chosen you and Elizabeth. And the son that you'll have to play a part in the redemption of his people. But Zechariah verse 18 says, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Gabriel seems to get a bit ticked off at this. I mean, this seems to be Gabriel's response. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. In a sense, he's, he is paralleling. Zachariah's statement doesn't matter who you are Zachariah matters who I am and who I represent doesn't matter how old you are I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak this to you this good news and then he says you know what since you've got doubt you don't want to believe you'll be silent we'll give you some time maybe to think about it now some of you wives could wish at times that an angel would visit your husband and render him mute for a period of months. He says, until the baby's born, you'll be unable to speak. You'll be unable to speak. And I, I just want to remind you that between the closing of Malachi and this visitation now, this word From God, I just want to remind you that the passage of time never makes God any less likely to fulfill his purposes. It didn't then and it doesn't now. It didn't in the life of his people at that time and it doesn't in our life as his people today, in your life as his sons and daughters. The fact that we wait on God does not mean we have to worry. There are going to be times when we have to wait. But it doesn't mean we have to worry. And if you're tempted to worry because of God's apparent delay in some area of your life, I I hope you'll remember these verses and be encouraged. Be encouraged. Now, look at verse 21. The people were waiting for Zechariah... And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. You can just hear a couple of standard, run-of-the-mill, blue-collar Jewish guys who've been out there praying forever. And they're like, man, when is that coming out? He's been in there. My knees are hurting, you know. I'm not 60 anymore. They've been waiting. Look at each other. I'm getting hungry, too. I'm getting hungry. My wife's angry when I come home after a certain amount of time without calling or texting, and we're not supposed to use our phones in the temple. They're waiting. They're wondering what's happening. My mind can go on and on at the potential conversations outside, like maybe he's dead, and we could go ahead and go. You never know what happens once you get further into the temple. But when the time came, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized Verse 22, that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now there is some some textual suggestion in this passage that he was not only mute, he was deaf. There's some, there's some interesting uh, realities around the language of whether it was just he making signs to the people, the people making signs to him, but here's what I, I would have you say. He up until this point, would have been thrilled to get home and tell Elizabeth, you can't believe what I got chosen to do. You cannot imagine, right? His cell phone battery was out. He couldn't send texts. He couldn't call. No chargers. He had to hop on the nearest donkey and head home. And he's waiting to tell her. But then he gets home. Can you imagine? And then As he begins to try to describe to her what had just taken place, and then navigating, and and part of the way that scripture is delicate here and says, verse twenty three, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Scripture's not wanting us to to confuse. The virgin conception of Mary with the natural conception of Elizabeth, empowered by God's good grace. As she chooses to to keep herself hidden for some months, maybe she didn't want to go out with her babbling husband who was just talking with his hands all the time, pointing. You know? This is, these were real people. This is awkward stuff. They're navigating. And in the sixth month, verse 26, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Gabriel goes to Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man. His name is Joseph. And he comes to her. He says, greetings, O favored one. And this this idea of Mary being favored. And in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, has troubled some people across the years. Was there something special or unique about Mary that caused her to have a special standing before God? That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying God has chosen her to extend favor to her, to show a unique grace to her. She's greatly troubled and is trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid, behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Mary's question is a little bit different than Zachariah's question. Verse 34, Mary says to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? If you compare the wording here, Zacharias, how will I know? I don't, I don't believe what you're saying. Mary's is, how will this be done? I don't understand how you're going to accomplish it. It's, we lose a little bit of it in English, but it's, it's two different sincere directions. One deals with doubt and disbelief from someone who should have known better. We'll say more about that in a minute. The other is a sincere question from a young teenage girl who's engaged to be married to a man who is not having sexual relations and has never had sexual relations. How is this going to happen? I don't understand. And the angel answers her that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And these are miraculous phrases. They they are not euphemisms for any kind of divine human sexual activity or anything like that. But in a miraculous way that remains mysterious to us. Mary's going to conceive a child in a way that no one before her and no one since her has ever done. Now, as we Look at this story and Mary, even in her confusion and in her desire to understand more about how it's going to happen, verse 38 tells us that she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word and the angel departed. From her. Friends, if you and I are in Christ, there is no other response when God comes to us other than, behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Let me give you three brief observations about this passage and about how heaven operates with regard to earth. And uh, before I give you those, I would just say uh, biblically, heaven and earth are much much more closely linked than than you and I realize. The veil between heaven and earth, between that domain where God rules and reigns in fullness and our domain that has been marred by sin and is in the process of being redeemed, that veil is far more thin than you and I ever realize. But I just want you to note that heaven breaks into earth at unexpected times, at unexpected times times what's amazing here is how unamazing this week this process was the reign of herod was as rulers came and went you've got people going on about their normal business going up to just do weekly duty going in to do something that priest priest after priest after priest after priest after priest had done for centuries And heaven breaks into earth. God shows up in the person of one of his messengers and speaks. I hope you understand that you live in God's world. And heaven breaks into earth all the time now. God is moving. He's speaking. You may have walked into your house a thousand times or ten thousand times. But you may walk in one day this week and God speak to you. You may have driven to work a hundred times, 500 times. But the Holy Spirit may reveal something to you this week. You may have sat through that boring class in school. Month after month, I guess you haven't had too many months yet if it's this year. Week after week after week. Maybe God meets you there this week. It's at unexpected times that God comes. Times that don't seem to hold significance to us. He comes and something happens. It's very clear from Zachariah's response that he was not expecting to encounter a word from the Lord as he went in there. To burn the incense. And yet he did. Heaven also breaks into earth through unexpected people through unexpected people. We've been looking at this. This account opens in chapter 5 with these words, in the days of Herod, king of Judah. But does the story begin with Herod? No. Herod's a historical sidebar, as Luke is seeking to document carefully. No. A comparatively insignificant couple, older, childless of no particular importance going about their daily lives and rituals as they did an odd place to begin the most significant story in human history wouldn't you say but God's done this before hasn't he he's done this before again and again and again we see his use of unexpected people revealing that he's the actor he's the hero of the story New Testament scholar David Garland, who happened to be my academic advisor uh, in seminary at Truett, just a great, great, humble, um, phenomenal scholar, wrote about Luke 1 and 2 in particular. The vital characters in the story are unknowns. An ordinary priest and his aging wife, a young peasant girl and a Jewish man who has to register to pay his taxes, shepherds, a despised class, And two prophets, male and female, who hang out in the temple waiting for God's intervention. God had made these promises to his people centuries before. But I want you to know he had never intended them to be fulfilled any other way or at any other time or through any other people. God's not slow because he's not watching the clock he knows what he's doing. He's always right on time, even though it may not seem like it through your thinking or mine. And of all the people, of all the unexpected people here, you would think Zachariah would have gotten it. You would think Zechariah would have gotten it. He was a he was a priest. What did he do when he wasn't doing his twice-a-year service in the temple? He taught people God's Word. You would think of all the people who might know and have a reflection of the story of Abraham and Sarah stuck in his mind, who were also a couple who trusted God late in age for the birth of a child, moving toward God's redemptive plan. It would be Zechariah and Elizabeth, who, by the way, lived in a town— in the hill country of Judea. Doesn't name the town, but the most prominent town in the hill country of Judea was Hebron. Where did Sarah and Abraham live? Hebron. Where did Sarah and Abraham die? Hebron. Where were Sarah and Abraham buried at this time? Hebron. God had lined it up perfectly for them to hear and be prepared. What was the most foundational story In the history of the Jews, the calling of Abraham and his belief in God that an old, childless couple would give birth to a son. And finally, heaven breaks into earth in unexpected ways. At unexpected times, through unexpected people, and in unexpected ways. An angel meeting an elderly priest in the temple and telling him, God is speaking, but here's how it's gonna happen. You and your your barren elderly wife are going to have a son. We wouldn't come up with this. If people were making up a religion, they would not come up with this. They would have better heroes. And then he walked in six foot six, two hundred and seventy pounds. He'd been moving stones all day. His muscles brisked in the sun. The sweat rolled down his biceps. That's the kind of story. People make up. They'd have a son. And this son was going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And they would be cousins. How bizarre is that? And in all fairness, your son's going to be a little weird too. Like a forerunner of the modern vegan hippies. John's out there. Maybe he, you know, interned as a barista before he started his prophetic ministry. And then this young insignificant girl that we talked about, who would would have ever dreamed that Old Testament prophecies were serious? That one would come in a way that no other one had ever come. I just, I want to encourage you this morning, especially those of you that are discouraged, those of you that are waiting and wondering And you're exhausted. God always keeps his promises. Always, always, always. He will do what he has said he will do. He will fulfill his calling in your life. You can rest assured on it. Corey ten Boom said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Wise words, biblical words. It's our faith in the God we know that leads us confidently into a future that we don't. Let me ask you to stand now. And I want to encourage you to think back where we began, at an issue in your life. Something particular where you are waiting on God. Yearning to see God move. Yearning to see God answer. And I want you to realize, you you really have two examples before you this morning. You've got Zachariah, who was righteous and blameless and walked with the Lord, who knew the Scriptures and taught the Scriptures. But when the test of waiting came, he did not do well. He grew unexpectant. He stopped trusting and believing that God would really do what God had said He would do. And you've got Mary. Not nearly as schooled as Zechariah. Not nearly as wise by years. But somehow in God's grace, she'd been able to keep her heart and her mind soft. And when the time came for God to move in her life, she said, I'm here. Let it be to me As your word decrees. She said in a sense, I surrender all. I surrender all. All I have, all I am is yours. Friends, there's peace in that. There's peace. Let me pray for us and as I finish, the worship band will lead us as we reflect and respond. We invite you if you're a baptized believer at any time while. We're singing. If you feel so led this morning, step out. You can step out, and make your way to the front or to the back to one of the communion stations. Take a piece of bread, dip it into the juice, move off to the side. Spend some time praying and just remembering that on the cross in Christ, God has finished it all. Everything necessary. For you to be accepted fully by God, to be His delight, to be His treasured possession. Will you trust Him this morning? Will you believe Him? Will you wait well for Him to move? Let's pray. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.